Find the life you didn't think was possible with the Jesus you never knew. Together, let's slow down a little and pay better attention to the most significant person in history. Welcome to the podcast, Paying Ridiculous Attention to Jesus, with your hosts, Rick Lawrence and Becky Hodges, brought to you by Lifetree. Visit us at JesusCenteredLife.com. Hi, listeners. This is Season 2, Episode 41, brought to you by Lifetree at JesusCenteredLife.com. And welcome back to our October series about this supernatural. Should we do the again? In the week's time since we've recorded, Becky, Becky has learned how to do us. that. I learned one scary sound. Yeah. yeah. It's kind of a Charlie That's Brown scary, scary sound. In fact, of all of the Charlie Brown cartoons, I think a Charlie Brown Halloween is my favorite. Uh, I mean, the Christmas one is really, really good. But the Halloween one with Snoopy howling in the pumpkin patch in the middle of the night with the big moon there, I just feel all warm and fuzzy. I couldn't watch it. It was too scary. <laughs> There's a mic drop right there. <laughs> Charlie Brown Halloween was seen, too scary. For, oh I've no! Seen oh my Brown gosh! Halloween. I might have a heart attack. But I've seen the Christmas one and all the like other ones, but I've never watched the I Halloween. I might one. have a heart attack. Becky has never seen a Charlie <laughs> Brown. Could you? I I think you're mature enough now to handle a Charlie Brown Halloween. You must watch it this year. All right, I'll it'll give you. It. It'll give you a warm. I'll take feeling. it under advisement. It'll give you a warm feeling inside. Well, if you're just joining us, our last two episodes uh, have focused on uh, a couple of different aspects of the supernatural. The first one, two episodes ago, uh, episode 38, was about the basics of the supernatural. What is it anyway, and what makes it supernatural? Um, And how does it show up in our everyday life, and how did it show up in the everyday life of Jesus and the disciples? So that was sort of a foundational one. And then our last episode, which was episode 40 dealt with the dark, kind of the dark side of the supernatural, and we've kind of very familiar with it in films and books um, that, that this dark side of the supernatural is part of our fantasy entertainment world, but it's actually true as well. It's not, not just in movies that there is a clearly Jesus uh, uh, revealed that there is a, a dark side to the supernatural. So last week we talked about that and about some red flags that need to come up for us whenever we're around supernatural kinds of things, things to look out for, things to pay attention to. So we encourage you to go back and listen to those if and you haven't already. In case you missed this, he went from 38 to 40, and yeah. that's because episode 39 is our nod to Bible Month. October is actually officially a national Bible Month, and we did a special episode with a woman who's using the Jesus-centered Bible to just totally upend and change her community. So we want, it's just a 15 minute, so you can check out that one as well. You know, and just as a PS to that, I I let Kelly Nelson know, she's the woman that I interviewed, she's in uh, Minnesota. Uh, I let her know that 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 little 15 minute interview with her is up now so that she could go listen to it. And she wrote me back today and said, wow, you wouldn't believe what's happened since we actually distributed those Bibles. We've seen massive changes in Uh, the behavior patterns of people in our church already, and they're bringing these Bibles to church with them when the people in our church typically don't. So anyway, I encourage you to go listen to that. It's it's a fascinating story about why she decided to do this and what the impact has been. So when we talked last week about red flags that we need to pay attention to when we're dealing with the supernatural, we were really focusing on sort of filters and standards that we need to use to evaluate the health and maturity of what we're dealing with when we're dealing with the supernatural. So we want to encourage you to listen to that because it's important for us to have kind of a relaxed maturity when it comes to the supernatural and to have a foundation underneath our feet for evaluating what it is we're dealing with. We need to be grown-ups as it pertains to all things supernatural. So, And that Those red flags and those kind of boundaries and standards we tried to address in our last podcast are important because the supernatural is more a part of our everyday life than maybe we give it credit for. Maybe we get so used to the supernatural around us that we don't recognize when we're dealing with it. And Becky came across a story, a new trend that's happening in in teenage culture that I thought would be fascinating for her to share. 
actually, Lindsay is the one who sent me this. She's one of the people who you've seen if you're on the pigs page. She sits right next to me and she helps out with all of the stuff that we do here. But there was a really interesting story. She deals a lot with our YouTube channels and she came across this trend on YouTube right now called the 3 a.m. Paranormal Challenge. It's really kind of, you know, a little bit scary because these teenage kids are getting up at 3 a.m. with this um, idea that they're going to expect to see or experience something supernatural. And they are videotaping these experiences and then posting them on YouTube. So you can actually go onto YouTube and in the search bar, you can look for Paranormal Challenge and um, or the 3 a.m. challenge, one of those two things. If you search those, that you'll find it. And what's happening is these kids, because they're so spooked and probably, you know, hyped up on adrenaline or accidentally like stabbing themselves and different things are happening. But it's interesting because these kids are so drawn to having a paranormal experience for themselves. And part of it is I think that they do want some attention because that's why they're posting it. Um, onto YouTube, but I also think that there's in some enticement in what it, you know experiencing something supernatural happening yeah. in the middle of the night when no one's there. Yeah, this this story, this trend reminded me of something I haven't thought about for a long time. When I was like a junior in high school, uh, I was part of a little friend group I've been with for a long time, and they were progressively getting more risk taking with the stuff they wanted to do at night. Eventually, it led to a split in my relationship with this group, which is another difficult, painful story I'll tell some other time. But before that happened, one of the last things I did with them was they said, let's let's go to this old, purportedly haunted mansion in the mountains that's all fenced off with barbed wire and stuff that people aren't supposed to go into. It's in the mountains off this kind of side road. Let's leave at midnight and go to this house and see what it's like inside there. And, and they had heard that there's a way that you can go through this huge mansion and find your way to the roof. And they just wanted to find our way to the roof and just kind of stare at the stars on the top of a haunted mansion, the kind of things that kids do. <laughs> so I thought, okay, I'll, I, I, this was totally out of character for me, but I said, okay, I'll go. So we left at midnight. We get up to this place about 1 a.m. We have to climb through the barbed wire to get down to this place. We walk, and it looked like the kind of place you would choose if you wanted to make a movie about a haunted house. This place was like right out of, you know, central casting. It, it was in every way a creepy, creepy place. And we finally did make our way up to the roof. But when we had stood up there for a while and were ready to come back down, by now you're kind of spooked. You're in the middle of the darkness, in the middle of the night, standing in the place you're not supposed to be. And for somebody like me, who is a rule keeper, not a rule breaker, this was like a very charged experience. And I'm, we're walking down a stairway to go back out using our flashlights, and I flash my light onto the wall as we're going down, and all the length of the wall, written in dripping red uh, paint, or blood, if you want to believe it, was were the words helter-skelter. Uh, if you know that Beatles song and how that phrase helter-skelter was used by Charles Manson back in the 30 or 40 years ago during his killing spree, it freaked me out. And so a bunch of teenage guys ran screaming out of the mansion <laughs> and got out of there. So when I look back and I think, well, what was going on in me? Why did I go? And what was I experiencing at the time? And it's the same thing you know, related to the trend you just talked about, Becky. There's a, there's a kind of a romance or an excitement or a chargedness about coming in contact with the paranormal, with the supernatural. There, there's something that kind of gets our blood going about this. And for me, looking back, I would say there's a kind of a there's a kind of a romance to it. And I don't think that's by accident. I think God has wired us for romance. I love the book by John Eldridge and oh, I forget his first name, Curtis. Uh, but it's called The Sacred Romance. And it's a a way of looking at the gospel story through the filter of romance. Uh, it's very powerful. Eldridge later wrote a book called The Journey of Desire, which is, I think, one of his greatest books. I urge you to go read The Journey of Desire if you haven't already, because it's a book about how God moves toward us to kind of surface our desires and have those desires lead to Him, that these desires that we have deep inside were planted there by Him to draw us to Him, 
and that our life as followers of Jesus is not to suppress our desires, but to pay attention to them. And so I think in, in some ways this romantic urge we have toward the paranormal and the supernatural in part is planted there to draw us to Jesus. It reminded me of how C.S. Lewis, the great, I mean, the, the greatest 20th century apologist, and maybe up there of all time, how he initially came to Christ. It's a fascinating story. He, he wrote this, the story of this path to Christ in his autobiography called Surprised by Joy. And he was not a believer in God growing up as a young British boy. He had a kind of a difficult home life and was very much internal as a person, but he and his brother loved fantasy, and they used to create fantasy stories, and they consumed the fantasy stories that were popular at the time. And Lewis described how these stories of the supernatural, the fantasy and the supernatural, baptized his imagination. It planted in him a desire for something other than, than simply what he could see and feel and touch and taste. The, this life, this hidden life, the supernatural, it planted in him a, a desire, and the fantasy stories he read, he said, baptized his imagination, gave him the sense that there was something deeply good out there. And that's what eventually led him to consider Jesus. And Jesus then overwhelmed him with, with the reality of who he, who he is, and he came to Christ because he couldn't deny his attraction to Jesus any longer. So this, this idea that romance is part of our relationship with him, and that the supernatural kind of taps into some of that, is an important thing for us to pay attention to in our everyday life. Jesus did teach his disciples to adopt this same mentality, and uh, I thought Becky had a great idea for us to simply take a kind of a, a sprint through Acts chapter 8 and 9? Are we doing 8 and 9 or 9 and 10? We're eight, doing 8 and 9. No, uh, we're doing 9 and 10. 9 and 10. I'm looking 9 at, and 10. Yes. You're right. Acts 9 and, and 10. Actually, yesterday, in preparation for this episode, I just, and I want to kind of encourage you to do this. We couldn't do this on one podcast. It would be like multiple podcasts. But I sped read through the entire book of Acts, and I just had a little piece of paper, and I took a note every time I saw something where it said, and they were led by the Spirit, or they were led by the Spirit, something along the lines where the Spirit drew them to do something. And then I jotted down like like a headline, like what would be the movie title of that? And it was really fascinating to see kind of the ebb and flow of like, okay, so they went and did this thing because the Spirit told them to do it. And then all these people came to know the Lord, and then they had to go into hiding because they were in trouble. So it was, it was, it's a really fascinating read. And I think it's Acts is such a great book of what happened when people received the Spirit and then they just started using it all the time and responding to it all the time. So that's just a little homework assignment if you feel led to do something um, that's more for your own personal. Yeah, I don't, I don't know if you still have your jotted notes, but that would be fascinating to post on the pigs page. Yes, I do have my notes, and I can. I was planning on just putting my my silly little movie headlines for every I think that's great. place where they decided to do something well, crazy. Well, you know, the bigger picture here is that Jesus treated the supernatural as a normal part of everyday life, and he tried to model that for his disciples as well. And then you get into Acts, and you see how they really caught that modeling, because, oh my gosh, the supernatural was an everyday, normal part of their life. So let's just stop where we want to stop in here and talk about what we want to talk when we flip through here. So one thing I want to say before we start nine, because I was almost like, do we have to do eight in order to do this? So one thing to note is in Acts chapter, I think it's seven and eight. Yeah, it's like the end of seven and into eight. Philip is stoned. And it's very clear. Hmm. It's might want to want to clarify. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> Philip is stoned. He was stoned to death for something he did by following the spirit. He yeah. fell. He followed the spirit, and he got stoned to death. I know this is. We're talking about the supernatural people, yeah. and Becky is the person who's the most scared of this stuff. So <laughs> she's able to say it. He was stoned to death. Yeah. And in two different places, it points out that Saul was there overseeing it. And that he he was the one who kind of agreed and was the one who wanted this to happen. So all the disciples were there at this point when they saw their one of their friends who had just been named one of the seven servants of their church, like the kind of like maybe an elder, I guess, with 
would be the way something very emotional just happened. One of their key players has just been stoned to death and he's been stoned to death by this guy named Saul. So we're going to go into Acts chapter nine. now. And then you, and then you, you launch into nine and you see right away this extraordinary thing that happens that I, I, I like to call this scene where Saul is knocked off his donkey on the way to Damascus by Jesus and hears the audible voice of Jesus speaking to him on his way to Damascus. I like to call this the Tony Soprano method of, method of evangelization. It's where the uh, mafia guy shows up, knocks you off your donkey, blinds you, and says, I got a deal you can't refuse. <laughs> so the Spirit of Jesus goes all muscly on Saul here, and Saul is frightened by this whole experience. So here's something to notice about this. this in this supernatural encounter, Jesus uses the strength that's needed for what's needed in the moment with Saul. He knows that arguing Saul out of all of his strongly held opinions ain't going to work. He's going to have to get Saul's attention otherwise, and he chooses to get his attention physically by knocking him off his donkey, blinding him, and scaring the heck out of him. He gets Saul's attention, and he wants his attention long enough so that Saul will listen to him, because Saul is super smart. In fact, he's one of the smartest men on the face of the earth at this time. He, he was trained by the, the best rabbi on earth at that time, and he was that rabbi's star student. So he is the smartest of the smart. He can out-talk anyone, he can out-convince anyone, and Jesus decides, eh, I think I'm going to come at him in a way he doesn't expect, and I'm going to come at him physically. And that's what's one of the things that's remarkable about this scene. And it's witnessed. It was particularly witnessed. It says that at this point, Saul gets knocked off his donkey, and then he hears from heaven, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And Saul cries out, who are you, Lord? And the voice replied, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. Now get up and go into the city, and you'll be told what you must do. The men with Saul stood speechless, for they heard the sound of someone's voice, but saw no one. So, you know, you could argue, oh, well, he got knocked off his donkey. He was hallucinating. He says he heard this voice. But there were witnesses, and the people that were with him were probably also other people that were pretty educated. and And one thing they did know is he was indeed blind. And he did indeed got knocked off his donkey somehow. They don't know how he got to be blind. But I have to say, by the way, this is just this is one of those places where we always treat what Jesus said as super serious. We assume he was scowling and oh, when he said this, I'm Jesus, the one you're persecuting. But I think it's just so funny. He That's goes, true. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And Saul goes, Well, who are you? I'm Jesus, the one you're persecuting. Like, duh. <laughs> duh. I just think that's funny. Wouldn't it change the way you read this if if you read this as Jesus saying this laughing? Is that too far out there for, for us to... I, I just think we, we boundary Jesus too much. So this story only gets deeper because this guy is the most feared person on earth for those who are believers, those who are following Jesus. But Jesus goes and speaks to um, Ananias, one of his followers, and that, that the first thing that we notice here is that Jesus, who is not physically present on the earth, is having a conversation with one of his followers, a very specific conversation. It's treated as totally normal that the Spirit of Jesus would speak to Ananias with specific instructions about what he wants to do, which is he wants Ananias to go to Saul and tell him that he wants him to join the team, basically, and to take the scales off of Saul's eyes so he can see again. And Ananias is understandably like, you want me to go to this guy who's killing Christians and announce myself as a follower of you? He pushes back against Jesus, what he's asking him to do. So they wrangle it out together, and Jesus says, no, seriously, I want you to go, you're going to be okay, and they work it all out. This kind of conversation is supernatural, and it's also treated as absolutely normal, the kind of thing that could happen any day. So Ananias does what Jesus asks him to do, and the scales fall off Paul's eyes, and he basically joins the team and starts preaching about Jesus to everybody all of a sudden. Now, this must have been freakish for people, that this guy who was killing people who follow Jesus now is extolling his virtues. Of course people didn't believe him right away. And then along the way, the Spirit of Jesus 
influences Barnabas to bring Saul into the inner circle of the disciples, the very place you wouldn't want to bring Saul, Barnabas brings Saul and says, look, this guy has really changed. I believe his story. He is called to do this. Jesus tapped him for this. We need to circle around this guy and support him now. An extraordinary supernatural act of trust is what Barnabas does. And then the disciples respond with a supernatural act of trust. So when we trust, when when all of the evidence in front of us says don't, that's supernatural. It's a kind of trust that's not based in the natural world, it's based on something else. Meanwhile, we shift from Paul's story to Peter's story. Yeah, because meanwhile, like... Meanwhile, back at meanwhile, Peter. Meanwhile, back at Peter, because this is all happening at the same time, you know, we got to make sure this is just a day in the life. So Peter, this is the guy that... Man, I just love Peter, but he gets a bad rap as a guy who's just headstrong and is always, you know, flying off the handle about something or other. But actually, he's just a bold person. You probably know bold people in your life who kind of do crazy things sometimes, Mm -hmm. but you really admire them because, wow, look how bold that was. Well, that's Peter's personality type. And so Peter, now filled with the Spirit of Jesus, goes to town. I mean, he, he believes that everything Jesus did is possible for the disciples to do. And so he travels along place to place, and he meets uh, meets a paralyzed man who'd been bedridden for eight years, and he calls him out of his paralysis. Aeneas, he says, Jesus Christ heals you. Get up and roll up your sleeping mat. <laughs> Again, that's a funny way to ask the, tell the walking guy to be healed. Walking through town. He's just naturally walking through town. Right. I think you, you can kind of see him just like, oh, he was on his way somewhere, and then he just, you know— decided to heal this man. So he heals this man that everybody knows in town, and they're, everybody in town's like, oh my gosh, and the whole it says the whole town came to Christ. The entire population. That's, that's amazing. And so, so meanwhile, he, he's in Joppa, and he hears about this woman named Tabitha, whose Greek name is Dorcas, who is just a, a legendary for her, her generosity, and he hears her, her, some of Tabitha's friends come to him and say, she's died, and we're just heartbroken. This shouldn't be. She's made such a huge impact in our town. Would you please come? So Peter comes. She's already been washed, put in burial clothes. She's dead. She's as dead as the dead can come. And Peter leans down next to the bed that she's she's been laid upon and says, whispers to her, Tabitha, get up. And she gets up. So a dead person is raised. Now talk about making a real splash, a lot of people come come to Christ because of this, this miraculous thing that happens. Again, Peter treats this as like a normal part of his day. Oh, there's a dead person you want me to pray for? Oh, sure. <laughs> no worries. I'm just going to—I'll pray for her, and I'll just bring her back to life, and then I'll go along my way. It's interesting, by the way, to to see what he said to her, what he said to Tabitha. All he said was, Get up, Tabitha. <laughs> like she was sleeping. You exactly. Know, he wasn't like expelling some sort of, you know, illness or, you know, trying to combat something. He just was like, hey, why don't you just get up instead of dying? Now in chapter 10 of Acts, we're still following Peter. Mm-hmm. And this is a chapter 10 in Acts is a, a huge chipping point in the history of the church because this is the point at which the Gentiles, the pagans, the people that are not the chosen ones, they learn once and for all that they are included in this whole gospel message, that Jesus wants them to, not just the children of Israel. And the way that this happens is through angels coming to Cornelius, a Roman army officer who's a pagan, and this angel comes to him and says, you know, your prayers and gifts to the poor have been received by God as an offering, so I want you to send some men to Joppa and summon a man named Simon Peter— He's staying with Simon, a tanner who lives near the seashore. So Cornelius has an encounter with an angel who's very specific about what he wants him to do, and Cornelius is like, and who are you again? (laughs) I like this story because it's actually, it's multifaceted and it's complicated. So the story with Dorcas, while it's, you know, wow, he raised someone from the dead, what a huge miracle that is. This one is actually super complicated because it, for it to be successful, multiple people have to obey things. Multiple things have to happen all at once so that the outcome will, everyone will be in the same place at the same and, time where they need to and be. And their obedience, this is important to understand here, their obedience is not based on something they're reading in Scripture. No. 
their obedience is based on guidance and direction that an angel and then the Spirit of Jesus are giving them. Working together to make this happen. So we see this, and sometimes we treat stories like this as if they're Harry Potter stories. Like, I know somebody made that up, and it's a really cool story, but this is not a Harry Potter story. This is the everyday life of these people. And along the way, Peter Peter does go back to this man's house, and while they're making dinner, it says that Peter kind of falls into a trance, and he has this vision while he's in his trance that all of these unclean animals that a Jew is not supposed to eat are in this kind of big netting, and he hears a voice telling him to kill and eat. And he's like, no, I can't eat those things. And the voice says, well, don't call something unclean if God has made it clean. Wow. What, what this voice is saying, and I think it's the voice of Jesus, he's saying, hey, if I say that's clean, it's clean. So you can eat that now. And this, this particular event has more meaning than just this, this guy Cornelius. Obviously, this is a huge shift in the way that Peter, who is a devout Jew, is going to think, and he's going to influence a lot of other people. It's going to open up the, the kinds of people that he's going to see as able to have salvation. At this time, I think that they thought that salvation was just for the Jewish people, and now he's going to... Yeah. And actually, I'm, I'm looking here at you, Becky, and uh, as far as I can tell, you're not uh, Jewish. And I'm, I have no idea. I'm certainly not Jewish, and so we wouldn't be sitting here following and loving Jesus if this hadn't happened. This moment Th- this is m- super important. Yeah, and it happened because—I love how you said that, that it's a complex story. It happened because of this succession of obedience of these people. And obedience sometimes we think are like— uh, what are my marching orders again? But obedience Mm-mm. is in the context of an intimate relationship. So you feel guided, and you take a risk. You you take a risk on that guidance, and then you move into that risk. And that, but you're still you're not just saying, "Well, I got communicated once, so I'm just going to march through that." You take a risk, and then you you get further guidance. You feel your way through these things as the Spirit of Jesus helps you to feel your way through. And as a result of this, a massive change comes in the Church, where Gentiles are underneath the umbrella of the Church now, and they they even receive the Holy Spirit, and later on there's a conflict about whether these, these converted Gentiles should be yep. circumcised according to Jewish law, and in the end, the elders of the Church, the, the disciples that were with Jesus, say, nope, they should not be circumcised, it's, it's an unnecessary obligation because there's freedom for the Gentiles under this umbrella. We don't have to make them Jews to make them appropriate to be under, the, under this umbrella. So this is a remarkable turn of events that happens here, and it's because of the everyday, natural way these people treated supernatural guidance. So on a micro level, though, in addition to that, I think it's really interesting that Peter is perplexed. He was very perplexed by this vision. What could it possibly mean is what he's thinking. And meanwhile, as Peter was puzzling over the vision, so he's sitting there, he's gotten a word, and he doesn't really see the big picture. Now here we are, you know, looking at this on on a macro level many years later, and we're like, oh, on a big picture level, I know what that vision meant. But he was totally confused. And how many times have we gotten something from God where he's asked us to do something and we don't have the big picture yet? And we're just sitting there going, you can't possibly mean that. And even Peter, in in all this fierceness of the Holy Spirit that he has been able to experience over the last, I don't know, I don't really actually know what kind of time period um, we're in right now from the time he received the Holy Spirit. But obviously he's he's performing miracles that he only saw Jesus do. And he's still going, I have no idea what this is all about. Yeah. And so it's totally relaxed and totally normal when we have the same feeling. When we think we hear something from God and it makes absolutely no sense. Why that, did you say that? That's so good. And, and the thing is here, here, here's a little rabbit trail of practicality. As we are leading a life, being guided by the Spirit, um, and by the way, we, we do have a podcast, the whole podcast was about what does it mean to be led by the Spirit. I, I don't remember what number that is, but we'll post that on it's the pretty link pretty early for this. on, but, like four or five. 
But if we ask, what does it mean to be led by the Spirit? It's exactly how Becky just described. There are oftentimes you're like, I feel like I have some guidance about this, but I don't really know what that means, or I don't know what that's going to lead to. The, the practicality here is do the next thing you know to do, whatever that is. There's always something that we know is the next thing we're under obedience to do. Well, do that. Don't worry about steps four, five, six, and seven. Just do the next step, and that's exactly what Peter does. The Spirit says, hey, I want you to go downstairs and meet these guys that I've sent to you. So Peter still doesn't know what's going on or what this vision means, but he is obedient to the next thing he knows to do. And so he goes down and talks to these guys, and they tell him their story about why they're coming from Cornelius and what this is all about. So eventually, Peter understands the big picture, but it comes in these little movements where he just keeps uh, moving forward on the basis of what he does know now. And that's important for us as well, because we often, if we were, if if the Spirit of Jesus just told us, look, I got it, I got something that's going to happen this next year, and here's all the things I need you to do between now and a year from now, it would be overwhelming for us. All he asks is for us to take the next little micro child step, the next thing he's told us to do. That is living supernaturally. So now we've moved through uh, chapters 9 and 10, and I think you get a feeling for how normal this was, that these kind of crazy things were happening. And so when we think about this, that this is a normal part of our life as well, how do we handle that? I mean, if we're—we have—Becky and I said last week that uh, one important way of dealing with the supernatural in our life is to simply be relaxed about it, because Jesus was relaxed about it, and the disciples were relaxed about it. But we don't feel relaxed about it. You know, it, it's not—even if you would tell a story of something supernatural that has happened in your everyday life, it can freak the people out around you. It doesn't seem very natural to them. Like, I, I remember when uh, I was driving up to a retreat with some guys who were co-workers of mine, and I don't even know how we got onto this. I think I mentioned something to one of these guys at one point that I had been involved in something like a ministry of exorcism, where I had partnered with my friend Bob to pray for people who were had uh, demonic oppression in their life, and I had sort of apprenticed with Bob, learning how to do this, and I told them about a story that had just happened that previous week where I was involved with something. And I told it in a very natural way, like I would tell like anything else in my life. I knew what I was saying was unusual, but man, in that car, it was like an explosion happened. These guys are like, you did what? <laughs> I, I can't even get my mind around that. And it became a huge deal for these guys. When I see these guys still, they reference me telling that story in the car because it seems so bizarre and out there. But for me, it had become a normal part of my life. It wasn't extraordinary, and I didn't tell the story in an extraordinary way. I just told it in a relaxed way. I just, and I, and I didn't really have any power in these situations myself. I just invited Jesus to do his thing. I wasn't thinking that I had some kind of magical ability. I just was a conduit for what Jesus wanted to do in people's lives, and that's how I treated it. But when the supernatural shows up in unexpected ways, it can really freak people out. There is a reason why it's called supernatural. There, there's something that sticks out about it. So, And you have a story of the supernatural in everyday life, too, Becky. Well, so Rick's story sounds extreme, right? He was going around <laughs> and exercising demons. That's what he was doing. There's movies out there. I, I, really not as I weird have as not I watched sound. them, but I've heard they're very scary, and people are kind of fascinated with this idea, and it's always like very terrifying experience. But for Rick, it was really natural, and it made me think about a story that I felt just as kind of supernatural about. And it's the story of when I was in college, Mrs. Chan was, she was a, a mom of one of my friends in college. And she was, a she was just our kind of like our college mom. She, all of us had like broken families or some of us came, had come to know the Lord, but our families weren't believers. And we just felt like we didn't really have a family where we, we could just be around kind of a wholesome environment. So we were naturally attracted to the Chan's house. Also, they had like a, a backyard that was like a polar bear ex exhibit. It had like a pool and water slide. And so it was also a very fun place. They had, you know, the latest video games. And it was just a place where we felt like we could have good, clean fun and stay up late because college students stay up really late. 
And But what I loved, and I didn't even really realize this until many years later, I didn't, it was so natural that it, it, it didn't even occur to me until much later in life, is that Mrs. Chan was always there, and she stayed up with us no matter how late we were there. And she never complained about it. She never thought of anything about the mess we were making or the noise that we were making or that we were any kind of bother to her life. And she would just sit in this chair. And oftentimes we would end up having deep conversations with her. She was just available and she was there. She never actually really pushed any advice. She was very much a listener. And I never realized until I was out of college and had moved actually just what an impact she had on all of us and everyone around us. And it was because of what she was supernaturally modeling. And I knew that she prayed for us regularly. She was a prayer warrior and I knew that she, she was taking notice of our life. She always remembered every little detail um, and she would ask you and follow up with you and she was constantly pursuing you. But in this really very relaxed way, she was an introvert. So she wasn't very like, she wasn't like flamboyantly part of the party. She really probably blended into the background of what was happening most of the time. Um, But she had a profound impact on that whole entire group of people. And she provided an environment where we could be, could safely um, enjoy our, our relationships which she knew was really important. So, so you and you might think, well, that just sounds like hospitality to me. Why is that supernatural? It's supernatural because it's contrary to our fallen nature to be focused and committed on others' needs rather than our own. And I don't know how she did it. She and her husband had jobs. So how did they stay up till three in the morning? Right. What was what with was, college students on Tuesday nights? <laughs> what, what was empowering her? What was empowering her is the spirit of Jesus, mm-hmm. supernaturally empowering her to stay perseverant and committed to this group of young people. Mm-hmm. And so that's an example of a supernatural when it's not theatrical or it's not like whoa. Its source of strength comes from outside the person. And that's what makes it supernatural. I have a story that I just heard this last weekend from one of the young people that was that's in our Pursuing the Heart, Not the Recipes small group that we meet with every week in my house. Now, this, this gal is now a college student, and uh, she was home for the weekend, as was my uh, oldest daughter, Lucy. And they were, she was standing in the kitchen, and she, she met and now is dating another guy that was in our small group. And... Um, don't tell them, but I think that they might be headed toward marriage. You're at not some allowed point. to say. Something I just said like that. that. In she a, might be listening to yeah, this. Yeah, I podcast. just said that in a low voice. But they are very compatible and they're very close. And she she wanted to tell a funny story about one of their first dates where they went to this underground arcade in downtown Denver. And Joel is her boyfriend, and Joel is very competitive, and he's very good at uh, video game type things. And they were they played pinball and Joel just slaughtered Megan in pinball, and so she's like, "Oh my gosh, he just killed me in pinball." But then Joel suggests, "Well, why don't we play skee ball?" So on their way to go over and play skee ball, Megan is praying, and she goes, "Hey Jesus, it would be really great, and I know it's not important at all, and this is a small thing, but it would be super great if I could just beat Joel in skee ball." And and she goes, "Jesus, I know that this is a nothing thing, but." You care about everything, so I, and if you don't want to do it, that's fine. But it just would be really cool if I could beat Joel in skee ball. So the two of them are playing skee ball. They put their quarter in. They get each a round of balls to throw up the ramp in skee ball, and they get finished. And Joel has yes beaten uh, Megan by a couple hundred points. And they're standing there, and then all of a sudden, an entire new set of balls comes rolling down Megan's skee ball thing. She didn't put any more money in or anything else. There's just this whole new set of balls comes rolling down. She looks over at Joel, and she goes, Jesus, I know this is you because you're so playful. And she takes those balls, and she skee-balled her way to beating Joel because she got twice as many balls to do it. And she told this story laughing. What I found was so profound is she said, I knew it was Jesus because it was so playful. I love that. This is a supernatural story that isn't super serious. It's just in a tiny little vignette between Megan and her and her boyfriend. 
And you, you, uh, one of the pigs, Robert, mm-hmm. uh, you saw something that he that he's doing now. That's kind of an everyday supernatural thing. Maybe you could talk. Yeah, about he's that. he's organizing these, and I don't know if this is officially what he's calling it, but they're like Jesus walks, where he gets together with other people who want to pay ridiculous attention to Jesus, where he is in Alaska. Um, and they just walk around and pray for God to show them or ask them to do something, and then they do it. Um, and also, as he described it, it's been very playful. It hasn't been like, um, you know, it's not like street evangelism. It's not, that's not what they're doing. They're just, you know, putting quarters into, you know, paying extra time for people's cars. Um, they're just, you know, paying for groceries. They're, they're just doing anything that Jesus calls them to do, and they're just playing around with him in that way. And when you take a risk like that, you take a risk to do something even as simple as that, you're inviting the supernatural into it, because risk means doing something that you have no physical guarantee of what's going to happen with it. So you're trusting sort of in the void, you're really trusting the heart of Jesus when you risk. And we have lots of stories of you know, people doing like over the top bold things. You you had mentioned Becky this this whole yeah. thing of in New York I City. I saw on Facebook this guy, and he's not like a famous guy. He's just like a guy who's bringing a horse trough into like onto like a corner in New York City, and just inviting people to get baptized. And people are doing it. They're they're giving their lives to the Lord and being baptized on the streets. That is such a radical thing. It's one of those stories where you look at that and you're like, I don't think I could ever do that. Right, because because it's too extreme. It's too, it's too bold. And that's that's because the guy that's doing this is likely has a bold personality yep. and so the spirit is moving through his bold personality in a very natural way for him. But what about the 95% of us that would not describe ourselves as that kind of bold in in any area of our life? What does this look like for us? We know that Jesus understands our frame. He says so in Scripture. He understands how we're wired. He's not asking us to do things that are completely outside of our personality. He's just asking to be for us to be open to be stretched a little bit to out of the basis of who we are what does it look like for me to feel stretched and move more supernaturally in the world and the you know we're we're going to give you a few sort of little guidelines here for how we think this this can ha- happen in your everyday life and the first thing is all about receptivity we've said that Jesus operates under permission meaning he, he won't force himself on us. He wants to move into our life as we invite him to, and that gets to our receptivity. How receptive are we to inviting Jesus into our everyday life? It's a real question, because some of us are not receptive at all because of hurts or pains or doubts that we have. We're closed, and that really attaches itself to our trust. How much do we trust Jesus? Because the reason we're closed is because we don't trust him. So the question really becomes, how much do I trust him, and how is that impacting my receptivity in life, my, my invitation? The good news is, is that when we're born again, as Jesus told the Pharisee Nicodemus that we certainly are, we're born again of the Spirit, and that means that the Spirit of Jesus reparents us. We're literally born like babies in the Spirit, and we get to grow up again in the Spirit. This is great news for me, because... You, you might think that I'm just like wired to do these kind of crazy things that we've talked about. I'm totally not. <laughs> I come from a very sort of closed family. Nobody in my family does the things that I do, and neither did I until I met Jesus in a more intimate way. And the more I grew to trust him, the more he asked to stretch me, and these things ha- that I do now are outgrowths of my basic personality where he's asking me to risk out of that basic personality and trust him more. So that's how it's worked, and he's sort of reparented me. He's helped me to become more receptive than I should be coming from the family that I came from, and it's simply because he's training me and parenting me in a new way, helping me to become more open. You know, we talked the other day, the second thing we want to talk about is this barrier that we have inside where we go yeah, our friend Steph was thinking all this through with us, and she said, you know, a lot of people in the Church, when it comes to actual supernatural things, like I'm going to pray for somebody's healing, really, I'm not going to pray a general prayer, I'm going to actually pray for their healing, she said a lot of people in the Church have this kind of, yeah, right, mentality, 
How, how have you seen that yourself, Becky, as a barrier in your experience? I think one, I was talking to somebody who listened to our podcast last week about, not that, actually not this last one, it was the one before just about what is the supernatural. And we brought up the idea of how sometimes in our evangelical cultures, we're way more comfortable talking about how our, oh, we're watching Game, Game of Thrones and we're getting together to do it and the White Walkers and this and that. And then someone says, in prayer group, you know, shares, I, I feel like God healed me. I feel like he gave supernatural healing to me. And everyone kind of goes, mm-hmm, yeah, right. Or, um, mm, I well, I think the doctors mm. probably healed you, but, you know, whatever. Um, and so what is it about this skepticism that we naturally are drawn to? We're more attracted to talking about things that don't exist than, than the wild Jesus that is right in front of us. And Rick, you talk a lot about this compartmentalization in um, Jesus-Centered Life. If you haven't read that, that's, this is a cornerstone book for this podcast. Um, but that is such a great part of your book when you talk about how we put Jesus in one compartment and then we put everything else in different compartments. So he's not really part of my yoga routine or he's not really part of my scientific healing and my doctors and all of that. It's a different compartment than Jesus. He's over here. So skepticism and Jesus kind of, he wasn't very fond of people who were skeptical, really. He oftentimes pushed against them yeah, pretty he, hard. Yeah, he, he, yeah, with the program is what he would say. Yeah. The, you know, I love this, that Steph said this t- the other day in our, in our meeting. I, I loved it so much, I wrote it down, what she said. She said, our common reaction in the church is something like this, and I think she nailed it. I'm attracted to God because he brings a little bit of order and a little bit of blessing into my life. But this wild, untamed Jesus who moves supernaturally, that's a little more than what I'm looking for. And I think she's nailed it. The problem with that is that that might be all we're looking for, but it's not what Jesus is looking for. <laughs> and once you, Good get, luck. <laughs> once you get latched onto him, he will move and pursue you because he wants something much more than that. He wants intimacy. So he is a wild and untamed lion, and once you catch on to him... You can't really control him. He wants depth of relationship, and he has ways of inviting us into that. So the the thing about whatever it is that you're being stretched into in, to live more supernaturally, it should match the way God has wired you. I loved this point you made, Rick. It, it, it's so true, because I'm naturally, when I hear about the guy who is baptizing people on the streets in New York, I feel a little bit like you're not good enough. You really should be more like him. You know, like that's the kind of boldness that God really wants from you. Um, But he also made us a certain way and he told us not to be jealous of other people's gifts. So I think this was such a great point that some of us are more naturally introverted or extroverted. My friend Steph has superhuman strength discipline. And some some people are way more bold and flamboyant in the way that they express themselves. And so I think it's actually a red flag if you start feeling like it's way too out of who you are. I kind think that's sh- probably a red flag. Feeling like you're shamed into some, something yeah. that you're not. Yeah. So if you're an introvert, Jesus is going to ask you to be a bolder introvert. If you're an extrovert, he's going to ask you to be a bolder extrovert, to stretch yourself a little bit. If you're naturally disciplined, like Steph is, he's going to ask you to be bold in that discipline, which might mean that you're, you lay down your discipline for some reason yep. or another to do the thing that kind of is, feels contrary to you, but not so contrary it's not you anymore. And if you read through, if you do the read through with Acts and you contrast the way that um, Paul's ministry ends up going versus Peter, you can just see Paul was a scholar. So therefore, of course, Jesus led him and called him in the spirit to do more scholarly witnessing. And with Peter, he called more boldness. So their their ministries are completely different in the way that they handle them. That's a great point. And, and the, the idea behind all this, when we say Jesus is going to ask you to be a little more bold, and he's going to ask you to stretch a little bit. What this asks of us is courage on our part. And the great thing about courage is that courage is available to all of us, no matter what your starting point is. Courage just means 
taking a step from wherever that is yep. into the unknown, into a risk. It doesn't, you don't have to have the same courage that you compare yourself to with other people. Courage is locked into who you are as a person. So what does courage mean for you? Peter showed courage by going downstairs and meeting with the four men who were there. That wasn't a hard thing. Jesus just said, have courage to go downstairs and talk to these guys. And he did that. So that was a bold move, and it was a courageous move. It yeah. doesn't have to be the same as baptizing people on the streets. And you guys have heard that I'm near the end of writing this book, Spiritual Grit, that will come out next April. And the point of that book is really to explore everyday courage and risk-taking in our lives for the purpose of building grit, uh, spiritual grit, a, a source of grit in our lives that isn't just contained by our own resources, but is connected to the resources Jesus has. And when that happens, it almost always ha happens through tiny acts of courage that we have in our everyday life. Courage is a key way that we build sort of core strength in ourselves, which leads to joy in our lives, because we have more to give the people in our lives, and it brings joy into our lives. So Jesus loves for us to push out of our comfort zones, but he does it in some natural and non-threatening ways. The question is, what's a stretch for you? And that the more you do it, the more you'll trust him, and the more you trust him, the more you know him, and the more you'll be motivated to do it again. I think that's our challenge today. What's a stretch for you? So that's the prayer I think that you need to ask Jesus, what, what is a stretch for me? Also, I just want, this wasn't on our list, Rick, but I feel like I need to say sure. it, is that the Spirit never contradicts the Bible. That's a good I point. I think that's a really—we didn't cover that in Red Flags, and I'm just realizing, like, the Spirit doesn't lead you to do something in contradiction of what God's Word says, so— Or in contradiction of your conscience. Yeah. The Spirit is the author of your conscience, and so those are some good guidelines, because it's—it can be scary to think, okay, I'm going to take a risk based on this—on guidance that is not something I've gotten directly from the Bible. It feels like I've gotten it from the Spirit of Jesus— oh, what, what if I make a mistake? And so one way to tamp down that possibility is to ask yourself, is it consistent with what's in the Bible? Is it consistent with my conscience? Yep. And once I move forward in this, it's not my last decision that I have to make. I can go back to him and say, is this the right way? This doesn't feel right right now. I'm, maybe I didn't hear you right. And you go back for further guidance so that it's not an all-or-nothing deal. It's a, it's a little step-by-little-step process. So... Gang, thanks for listening again this week. Um, remember, you can find out more information about everything we talked about today, but in greater detail with links that are helpful for you on the JesusCenterLife.com page. Uh, you'll need to find our podcast section, and you're looking for Season 2, Episode 41. Again, this is Paying Ridiculous Attention to Jesus. It's a podcast from Lifetree. Subscribe to us on iTunes for all the latest podcasts, and we'll talk again next time. Bye! Bye!